Hi, I'm Phil Tippett, and I made Mad God. And I'm Guillermo Doctor. I did not make Mad God, <laughs> but I watched it many times. And I'm here to talk to one of my all-time heroes, Phil. And uh, you know, I think one of the things that was uh, interesting for me is the the uh, one of the things is not only the process that you have talked about quite a bit about doing this movie over the decades and in bits and pieces. Uh, I wanted to. Uh, what I what I like about the movie is that it occurs to you. Like it, it seems to me, like it's almost like somebody assembling an altar of found objects, uh, almost like a philosophical collage of moments and sentiments and emotions. Uh, there, there was no script, or was there a script, or was there a guideline for this? There were about twelve pages. That was just tone. Um, 30 years ago mm -hmm. and um, then we um, the most impar important part of this making of this movie for me was I shot about three minutes of material and then realized the scope was too big this was after Robocop 2 and um, uh, but for some strange unknown mysterious reason I, I just kept thinking about it for the next 20 years and my wife is in the editorial department with uh, uh, um, on Amadeus so we go out to dinner with um, you know Milos and uh, as a young filmmaker I asked him um, what uh, if he had any advice and he gave me the best advice I ever got which was if you want to take a good shit you have to eat well yeah and it was like yeah yeah I totally get it you know, it's just the more time you have to develop, you know, it's, it, and this thing, Mad God, um, I spent the next 20 years uh, studying Jung and Freud and, you know, art mm -hmm. history and paleontology, I mean, everything. I just drank it. And, um, and I was inspired... Uh, you know, initially, as like a kid, you know, I want to make a Hieronymus Bosch movie. Of course, and it is. And then I was inspired also very much by Bob Dylan when he started to do his more surrealistic cut-up stuff. Mm -hmm. And so those were two huge influences on this thing. It is. It seems to me like there's also, uh, I mean, there's several things, obviously, you have little winks and nods with the cyclop of Herrhausen, other models that appear here and there that enunciate things like that. But uh, I think that is, uh, is, is uh, uh, continuing with the analogy that Miller's proposed, you also cannot shed what you don't need. So everything that you are regurgitating or, or processing here, uh, it is, uh, there, are, there are things that are very much part of your nutrition and your DNA, you know, this, this, there's a love of monsters that cannot be faked, that cannot be imposed, that cannot be dictated. There's an absolute love of the bizarre and fear of brutality 
that permeate this thing. And uh, I think in that there is something of Bosch. There's something of collage technique. There's. Do I do I hallucinate or were you ever a fan of uh, underground comics like Richard Corbin or? Uh, yeah, and I I've met Richard Corbin at Forey Ackerman's uh, place. Uh, uh -huh, you know, wow. way back when he was. Well, anyway, it's <laughs> another story. No, because the colors, the saturation of the colors and some of the palette remind me of uh, that really difficult process Corbin used to do to assure the vividness of the color. Right. And Where he even kind of used that ectochrome kind of... Ectochrome. Yeah. He, he used to do the cyan layer, the red layer, yep. the yellow layer by eye. And he would use the photolith that he would uh, use, uh, uh, sort of graduate by eye, and he would do a composite. It's crazy, but uh, what was the first footage? Uh, that you shot? What was the first scene that stayed in the movie that you shot way back when, 30 years ago? Uh, the first contiguous section was when the assassin character drops down to the, the first level mm -hmm. and walks into a um, operating room where this monkey is interred <sighs> and you know, these other you know, creatures are in there. And so that was the first scene but and then I shot like little bits here and there, you know, that were you know, kind of scattered, and um, you know, then, you know, I, I kind of I couldn't do it, and then there was the 20 years, and then some of the guys at my studio were watching me archive it, and they said, "What, what is this?" You know, and I said, "Well, they thought it was some, you know, ancient, you know, Czechoslovakia, <laughs> yes. something or other," yes, and. Um, so they said, well, can we do a shot? And I'd save the puppets. <laughs> and one of the puppets, this is, uh, you know, this character, the assassin. And uh, so I showed him, you know, they were these guys that um, were inspired by, like, the making of Star Wars and RoboCop and all that. Yes. And they wanted to do that, but that ship had sailed. And uh, they always wanted to work with lights and miniatures and yes. stuff like that. So they did a shot, and that then another and then another and then I give talks locally at the Pacific Film Archive and I get students um, you know high school and college students and people from everywhere in fact one of the uh, women that really helped me Emily was downstairs and she now huh? works for Netflix wow. and um, yeah and, and so uh, then for the next 12 years you know we assembled all of this and I was so lucky through uh, my friend Alex Cox, mm -hmm. um, who's great in the movie. And and uh, he introduced me. I, we would help Alex with his some of his you know uh, low budget movies, and he introduced me to Dan Wool, who did the score. Mm -hmm. Which is excellent. Yeah. yeah, and then Richard Beggs, who's like a you know king of sound design and it was like holy shit you know yeah. this and they hung in there for like they were i we were on this for 12 years and they hung in there for you know eight years you know and my style of direction is um you know it, it, once we got we did them in chapters mm -hmm. and um i would go in and I, I i said nothing to dan really you know uh but richard I might spot like half a dozen things, and it was like, okay, 
you know, leave the cooking to the chef, you know, and that's why I, I just leave people alone. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, but but at the same time, I mean, this is why I talk about a collage or I can talk about a shadow box of objects or I can talk about a cabinet of curiosities because ultimately what I think the, the film gives you, the film is a trip, but it also is uh, almost uh, the gatherings of images, uh, and there's no difference. It's images, philosophy, pop, deep, birth, rebirth, destruction, Jung, Freud. There's no qualifiers. Everything is there uh, at the same level. It, it, it is, it's very easy, if I was your analyst and charged you $300 an hour, it's very easy that it's a descent upon yourself. But it's also what you have collected over not only 30 years, but childhood, since childhood. Absolutely. And, 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 and it's all there. Um, and, and, and then I think the way you go at it is the most beautiful way because then you collect contributors. You collect, and you, you know the fact that you chose them, which is, cannot be an accident. It can, and you let them do what they want, is, is the best way. I think directing is 50% selecting. And, and, and you, you chose it what you ate, and here we are. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I only chose uh, Richard and Dan. The rest of the people were, were volunteers, you know. And Which is not an accident either. Well. Because I, I remember what, what, what I loved. Uh, we did two movies at Tippett Studios, uh, CG, granted, but one of the things that I loved, two things I loved working with you guys. One, it was one of the few animation houses that felt the old way. Like, people that were there were not just tech heads or had learned just with rigs. There were people that came from stop motion, that had worked with uh, Henry Selig or with you, or and there was a small sort of workshop uh, garage feel to that people, and I think those people volunteering only can occur in that environment. Well, you know, I mean, um, I would could be very easily convinced that I am in a simulation because everything I wished for has come true mm -hmm. and more. And, you know, uh, even, you know, uh, as a kid, you know, my parents, I was born in Berkeley, and my parents moved to San Diego, which I hated. And, you know, but that put me in proximity to L.A. and got in the movie business and all that. But I always, um, you know, wanted to have my own studio so I could make my own movies. And um, it happened. You know, and so I was able to, uh, you know, it, it took years and years and years to build where I could, you know, hire supervisors uh, or, or, or train supervisors. And that left me free to do this, you know, to do Mad God. You know? and, uh, but you, you talk about Eastern, uh, Eastern Europe animators like Schrankmeyer, I imagine, or the English counterpart of the Brothers Quay. There is Trinka. a... Yeah, Trinka, obviously, but there is there is a a love of uh, the bizarre and the the beauty of the horror and the and the horror that that can be very human and painful. That you 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 do this. This is not. It, it is extremely uh, eclectic. It is not just an American sci-fi film. 
It's uh, it's it's really deep. It's really cosmic and uh, trippy, but not in a glib way. It's really painful. Uh, w w w uh, I th I find in that first set piece you shot, you shot with the monkey. It's very painful. It's very empathic. It's very longanious. Well, and I project into the characters, mm -hmm. you know, um, and uh, you know, I, I imagine the horror of being strapped to an you know autopsy table while you're alive. Mm -hmm. And there's a, you know another scene that's coming up with oh this was this was the first scene that was shot. This is it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you, that that's look. In my opinion, there is a certain pantomime, and in, in, in stop motion models, that was established early on uh, by Willis O'Brien and then Ray and so on and so forth. But what you do, which is remarkable for me, is uh, character. Like uh, I remember so vividly uh, the moment uh, the dragon and Dragon Slayer is trying to remove the lance from himself, yeah. from itself, herself. And he, she's fighting and cannot reach it. And just those extra gestures and the fact that you have to empathize with that pain, you've always done this. You've always, even even in little uh, little characters like the chess pieces, they have personality. They are so imbued with that. And, and that, I think, is, they're all little use. Well, and you have to be the actor, you know. Yeah. You ha you have to just kind of get the, you know, the core of the thing, which is elusive. You know, it's really hard to put a. Um, I I couldn't put anything into words, you know, really. So, uh, and that to me is the the measure of art, you know, is you know at least my approach um, with this show. Uh, Picasso was interviewed. Um, at one time, and he was asked what he's looking for in his uh, art, and he said, "I do not seek; I find." Mm -hmm. And so that's this. It's totally different than a normal production. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's much more you know like an art piece. And um, you know, when I was in college at UC Irvine, it was when the um, conceptual art movement began. And so I was really, it was like, oh, great. It's not painting, it's not sculpture, it's ideas. And then you find how to, you know, find the gravitational center of the idea, and then you work it until, you know, the, the, all the molecules come together. Co coalesce. Yeah, and that takes time. You know? It takes time, but it takes a gaze, like the way you gaze at things. And this is not to follow just the the Miller-Schwarman analogy, but it's a, in every sense of the word, including the end of times, it's a very eschatological movie. Mm -hmm. It's about a consuming, being consumed, shitting and eating, being force-fed, being fed, the milk, the breasts uh, full of milk with the dejecting of uh, uh, excrement. It's a very, it's incredibly visceral. And, uh, and I think even, even, like this piece of animation for me, it's so amazing when they inflate and the eyes pop out. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful, but it's inexplicable. It's textural. Uh, was there was there a, a painter like some of it, 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 it? Alludes for me to Vekshinsky or 
some some of it just uh, is textural. Were there painters that were also influential to you? No, I mean it was Bosch, Bosch, Bosch. You know, yeah. really all the way. And uh, we um, uh, just recently, while well, you know, after we finished, there was the very first assembly with that the scene with the monkey and a few yeah. other scattered things, and. Um, um, it was probably about three minutes long, mm -hmm. and um, uh, and so we took the, those three minutes and uh, put together storyboards. And this is like twelve years ago, yeah. and so it's very short. You know, it's not more than like five minutes long, and we'd forgotten about it, and we open it up and the you know there's probably like 20 storyboards in this you know few shots and it was it it was the movie mm -hmm. yeah so the movie at that point was a short i didn't know what it was going to exactly be in, that. until kickstarter yeah. happened and that kind of launched it and then it just fed itself but that brings me to two to two points that are interesting cinematography how did you approach it well, fortunately, I mean, I... Was it 30 years? Well, the first stuff I thought it shot on 35-millimeter film. Uh -huh. And uh, it was so painful. I did not like working with film, you know, because, you know, of all the stuff you have to do and the time it takes. So when things went digital, it was just so easy. I, I wouldn't know how to work a light meter today. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just you're painting by eye. Yeah. And so it's easy. You yeah, know? you don't have to deal with exposition and range on the picture and as uh, a speed and nothing. No, you yeah. just you just look, make a picture. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's it's really that simple. You know, um, and so you you just build it. Sometimes I would have maybe three or four setups going, and I would get one to a point where it was like, hmm, this needs something else, and. Um, I just leave it and then move on to another setup until you know, you know, I'm driving home in my car and I go like, yeah, I know what to I'm do. I do that. Yeah, but but and that leads me uh, uh, to my second point, which is editing and shaping the material. Evidently, because it's not there is definitely a dramatic progression to the film in the sense that it's a descent, encounters that define the world and the and the brutality of it and all that then the extraction of the baby the turning uh, into uh, almost like an alchemical element that is going to give a rebirth so there's very clear jungian progression well and it was very much about what i'm interested in you know is process you know how one thing leads to the next to another and how things can get refined and turned into another thing that yes. is nowhere. I mean, the assassin's arc is, um, you know, uh, one of, uh, you know, dismemberment and, and rebirth and then changing into this alchemical process that creates a new universe and, mm -hmm. and alters time. You know, so it's like, like, you know, a lot of Einstein, you know, towards yeah. the end. You know. Curiously, also part of a lot of Latin American cosmology and uh, ancient mythology deal with dismemberment for birth, whether it's uh, 
uh, uh, Aztec mythology, or you're talking about Kronos. Uh, and there is there is a a very very uh, basic foundational power to that mythology in, in here, and this leads me to although although that's a structure, editing, evidently. What were you seeking? Because if, if you said to somebody, I'm going to drop this five minutes, and I'm going to drop this five minutes, and the movie's going to be 15 minutes shorter, uh, there's no counterpart that can argue with you and say, oh, no, you need it for this or that. You had to do that all yourself. How was the editing process? Well, since you know it was animation, you know, I would draw storyboards because you know, the, you're involved with other people and need to explain you know, visually what, what the idea is. So, you know, we just do typical, you know, production stuff. You'd have your storyboards up there and you would cross, you know, it off. But you know how it goes when you're making these things. It was like, well, that's the starting point and now we can go anywhere from here, you know, because I'm not tied to a production schedule. And, you know, so I would just go this way and that way and, you know, just, you know, feel my way through it. And, um, you know, in terms of my animation process, for me now, it's very intuitive. You know, it's almost like being, um, you know, a, uh, a musician that's ad-libbing. And uh, so I could, like, start a shot and go, like, okay, this is what it needs to be. And I could be, like, 20 frames into it, go, like, ah, oh, no, you know what's better? And just then pivot, you know, right then. And... and surprise myself you know and that's what i was always looking for was you know i guess a, a demonic way of playing you know it is but the, the the interesting thing for me is you talk about your transit through life really and how you should be in a simulation because i mean the the crossroads historically the crossroads that had to happen for you to exist and reach this movie are extraordinarily in infinitesimal. I mean, there is your your transit through ILM. For me, that company is divided between gearheads, geeks, and madmen. You clearly are a madman that comes through with a, an, an almost evangelical mission dedicated to. Well, and on that note, yeah. uh, I have visions. Yes. Yeah. And Mad God was a very religious experience for me personally. Uh -huh. And uh, I discovered late in the process, I was working on this wall where these two blonde girls um, are, are going to set this, this bomb. Yes, and I remember that. I needed to create Towards this, the end. this wall. Yeah. And so i like, okay, so what? I channel artists, you know, and, and so it was like, okay... Jasper Johns. Mm -hmm. This is going to be Jasper Johns. Blah, 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 blah. And then the next day I come in and uh, ah, it needs to be more Robert Rauschenberg. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, no, 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 no. Um, next day, uh, more Ed Keenholz. It has to come off the wall. Yeah. And it's like, ah, I need someone else. And who? Goya. I'll make a Goya thing with cut off heads, kind of like cheesy. Yeah. Um, you know, haunted house, you know, mm -hmm. things, and and just built it that way. You know, just you know, I'm finding, you know, everything along the way, and that's, you know, I, I just found my way. I mean, this million, this movie is a, 
a one in a billion uh, uh, shot is, 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 is the dominoing of things. And that's what makes it so wonderful because it's completely pure. You've always been, in my mind, and one of the reasons I admire you, as I admire you, and, and truly I'm grateful for your presence and work on my life on this earth. It really is because the purity, the purity of it. And uh, it's almost, it's, it's very much monastic. Uh, it's, it, there is no difference between a large project or a small project. There is even a, a strange oblique continuum between the creatures you designed at the end of Howard the Dog and some of these monsters. Yeah. There's a strange oblique continuum. But it's always, I can always tell when it's you doing this, where, when, when did you find this call? When did this tug in your heart happen? When you were a kid? Seven before Jacinda, when the That's Cyclops it. came That's out. It. it was like, and... Um, That's why you have the Cyclops there. Of course. Along with the <laughs> many other images, Jesus and... Well, yeah, when I, um, you know, uh, saw the trailer for Mad, I mean, um, Sinbad on TV. Same thing. TV. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I told my parents, I want to see this movie because they have monsters in it and they move like this. Eh, 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 eh. And it looks beautiful. And, That's it. And, uh, and so I, you know, when the Cyclops comes out, the game was over. I was struck by lightning and cast, you know, cast, you know, into the person because it was like spectacle beyond imagination, you know, and no idea how it was done. It was like pure magic, you know, and magic. that's what you know inspired me, you know, because a lot of the the people, guys that you know I was you know um, you know coming up with would want to do. Um, make the Cyclops or make King Kong as a model and, and shoot that. It was like, yeah, why would you want to do that? Why don't you do something you've never seen before? A new one. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the you know, thing that really keeps me going is I want to see stuff I've never seen before. Well, that's why you, I mean, I can, I can understand as a, uh, just as a fan doing those things, but why would you want to, I mean, like if you're going to approach... In my case, for example, Pinocchio, I'm going to do it during Mussolini. I'm going to do it uh, completely contrarian mm. to what the fable is meant to be, which is, I believe, disobedience is a virtue. You know? So I'm going to go there. I don't think you need to turn into a quote-unquote real boy to be loved, etc., etc. And I think your, your, your vocation with these things chooses, I think everybody that chooses stop motion uh, I I think is um, it's an almost religious calling because there's no other form of animation in which the sacred bond between the animator and the puppet is something. I I, I talk about Bon Raku, the Japanese art of uh, black theater operating a puppet. Right. How it's linked to you, how that becomes an extension of you is 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 almost a spiritual. And I, I, I don't think, and it's a perpetually dying art form you chose. Well, and it's the, the process is you're alone in the dark and you're compressing time. So it's a meditative process, you mm -hmm. know, and you go into a different state. And, the, and, the, and, and we were talking about you collecting, or I was talking about you collecting ideas, images, philosophies, 
and gathering them and creating this art collage uh, of a movie. But an animator is also doing that with little gestures. Like I think everybody that loves animation like we do, even if uh, there are different forms of applying it, you're in the world collecting failed gestures. You're in the world collecting uh, body language. You're not just there, you're observing, and, and then you rechannel. And here, you have to rechannel an entire universe uh, instinctively. Because how did you build the sets? Did you build them alone? Did you have a whole crew? Did you sketch them? Uh, well, I, you know, the first guys that came on to it, you know, I mentored. You know, they didn't know how to do this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, yeah, they, it clicked with them. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, Some sets are enormous. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty big. And um, so the, the um, in terms of lighting, uh, you know, I would show them, you know, set up, you know, uh, rim lights first and the fill light here and then build the thing from there. And, um, uh, and but as the, the project evolved, uh, Chris Morley, who was a, a compositor at my studio, has a very good eye, much better eye than I do. I'm, I kind of my process is like a blacksmith. You know, I just mm -hmm. go in and bang on stuff until it looks right. And Chris is much more methodical. And so the way it ended up was I would just you know set yeah I mean just you know two key lights and a fill light and then I just leave it leave it to him because mm -hmm. it was just he totally got it and he just made it better and better you know did, did you you say you recruited or people volunteered was there uh one two three ten persons whoever that stayed from day one all the way to 30 years later anybody other than um you? only the guys from my studio you know mm -hmm. stuck with it and richard and dan and uh but then i would get these volunteers and I could, you know, get anything from, you know, 6 to tw uh, to 12 that would come in on Saturdays. And I would spend a portion of the week f that had never done this stuff before. And, um, and so I would figure out processes. And, um, and then on Saturdays, I, you do this, then you do that. You, do uh -huh. this. you would tell them or suggest that. Yeah, because they don't know anything, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, worried about them sometimes because... You know, it was like giving razor blades to five-year-olds. They yes. never worked with an X-Acto knife before. Yeah. And um, there's uh, one brief scene where the assassin is in his car, and he's driving through uh, mountains of dead soldiers. Yes. And, you know, there's a, there's a you know, uh, mountains in the background, and it's like a bleeding vagina that's coming down and covering, you know, this whole mm -hmm. thing. Though that set took between four and six women three years wow. to make. Wow. And, um, well, that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, that's the thing for me, uh, and, I, and I say this as an acolyte of it. I, I started doing clay animation. It was my first Super 8. I, I started doing, an, uh, I was planning a, a feature animation in clay before I did Kronos. 
I we built over a hundred puppets and sets oh. and this, and it got and and my studio got burglarized and everything was destroyed, all the puppets, all the sets, oh, God. they were smashed and uh, I said I'm gonna do Kronos because <laughs> I can mount it in a year. Yeah, I've been on this three years, but there is so the beauty is how long it takes. That's what makes it for me feel sacred. One shot in Pinocchio took three months. And shots take weeks, months. There's a sacredness to that. I don't think any other of the animation arts, uh, perhaps pin pin screen animation is as painful. (laughs) But but I think... uh, But I don't find it painful. No, no, no. But as uh, immersive. Yeah. uh, Profoundly for long lengths of time. If you if you don't and that's why I that's why I could not animate. I I I could be with it for a few days but then I would go, ah when is it gonna be over? Yeah, well yeah I was yeah, Ray and I when he would come into town, you know, I would, you know, interview him. And even, you know, at that point in time, you know, Ray, you couldn't get him how did you do this? How did you do that? We'll read the book. You know, he would yes. never. Yes. He was a magician. No. Yes. He took that part of him seriously. You know, yes. and it's like you don't need to know how I do it. Like today, yeah. where you you just know too much. <laughs> well, I think when you explained, you diffuse, and I think there is um, there's a beautiful quote by Magritte, Brenda Magritte, that says, "the <clears throat> the duty of art is mystery." Mm-hmm. And I think we do we we don't want to explain mystery. We want to invoke it. And I think your movie is be, before anything else is an invocation. It's an invocation that feels very needed for you. And uh, and uh, evidently, if you committed thirty years to it, you needed it. And I wanna uh, I wanna say that kid, that boy that looked at the Cyclops and found uh, his road to Damascus which for me was the monster of Frankenstein, the creature. That kid, uh, I think, is what you kept alive. Uh, You kept it alive through your teenage years, your early adult years. You kept it alive through the ILM experience because I think parts of those experiences did not touch you. You kept a certain part pure, not innocent, pure. And that's the part that I'm fascinated by. You are the same artist. You have the same integrity and devotion to this thing. That's what moves me very well, much. Well, I mean, my, my, you know, in retrospect, looking back at uh, you know, all the ILM years mm-hmm. and Robocop and everything like that, um, you know, my position, I felt, was more like a, a choreographer working for the, the director. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, what I, I discovered on this project late, late, late in the project was, um, you know, I, I would, you know, finish something up and then I would go away and then, oh, I forgot my keys and go back for my keys and look at what I was doing. No, 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 no. And you and, stayed. Yeah, and, and, then, and then like, oh, I just, you know, get into the car and was like, no, I got another idea and come back. And so, you know, I, I was going to go home because I was beat, and but I would just stay there. And I self-diagnosed myself as bipolar. Uh-huh. Uh, and not. And then I went to a psychiatrist, and um, the determination was I'm unipolar. 
I do not get depressed unless there's something to get. If my dog died, I would be mm-hmm. depressed. Mm-hmm. But um, I can't stop. And that explained everything to so me. So you have one speed. All my life. Except yeah. when you crash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it led to other issues, you know, because it was um, so intense. And it would, I would just... And then it was just, oh, okay, I'm depleted. And like, go home. And But I could not shut my mind off, which, you know, led to uh, alcohol, you know, just to yeah. shut me down, you yeah. know. To be able to quiet. Yeah, yeah. And then fortunately, you know, subsequently once, you know, this diagnosis was made, there's medication. And I'm yeah. like, oh, thank God. Did you find a solace on that? Yeah. Because uh, with every, uh, Capote used to say, with every gift, there's a whip, right? The, the, the balance of the universe never, never tips. When, uh, when people say, oh, it must be great to be loved that much, well, the balance will be somewhere. Somewhere in the world you will not be loved. <laughs> you will be. Well, you know, I, one of my mentors was Ray Bradbury. In, mm-hmm. the, in the day, well, people were accessible. And so I had this philosophical um, conversation. We, we corresponded for years about um, Ray's philosophy was love, love, love. Yes. Do what you love because if you, if you do what you love and fail, you'll be in a better position than if you didn't do it and didn't know what you could do, you know? And, and there would be a ghost that would haunt you the rest of your life. And um, then the nomenclature changes into follow your bliss over the years, mm. and then it turns into... There's a difference between the two ideas, no? Yeah, and, and then follow your passion. And it was so I looked up the definition of uh, passion, and it comes from the Latin patai, which means to suffer. Mm-hmm. And that's art. That's it. <laughs> that's it, and I think uh, uh, we... Uh, and and the, not only art... The duty of art is to cause discomfort of the artist, but also to cause discomfort with the questions it raises. I think that the rest is interior decoration or propaganda. It's either, I mean, I really believe that uh, what, 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 what you have to do is, is and, and in this, the convulsive idea of uh, Miller Schwarman is right, is a convulsion. You cannot hold it anymore, and it comes out. Yeah. You have to heave this thing. That's the idea. That's yeah. the idea. But you, going into it, I had no, you know, I mean, 20 years, I held on to this thing for no good reason, you know? Yeah, but but I think I think this universe, and this is the sensation I have with Mad God, this universe is cogent because it was birthed that way. It exists. This cohesiveness exists in all your animation pieces. From the beginning, whether you are choreographing yeah. for somebody else or not, that cogent nature, that uh, almost unassailable, uh, bulletproof solidity exists. But the, the, in this case, you're not just serving a set piece or a character. You're able to, to present an entire world. And I think uh, uh, there is something beautiful about the title because, and, and the, the Old Testament quote on the beginning they feel of a piece when you're reading it you think it's something absolutely horrifying where is, where the, where could this come from and of course the answer is the bible <laughs> well and what i you know i mean the beginning and the end occurred well the beginning shot you know with the tower of babel, babel yeah was the last shot i shot wow and um 
and I was on an airplane and I was reading um, some article and the Leviticus quote and it was like bang that's it that's you it. know mad God this anchors the idea of mad God with a, a cruel cruel God and um, and so I, I looked at the the Bible and the Torah and you know just tried to find the, the right piece and so I chose the Torah which was almost identical to the Bible mm-hmm. but it's just a little bit more harsh yes. you know and uh, so I chose that and that was the first shot and then uh, the very last shot with the cuckoo bird was very much towards the end of mm-hmm. you know this and it was like how the hell do you end something yes. like, this? like this and uh, and so I channeled I, you know I forget who but like Groucho Marx what would Groucho mm-hmm. Marx do, do. <laughs> with the, with the, it's that kind of a movie yeah, you know yeah. but 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 I think there is there is I mean uh, there is uh, there is grace and there's humor in the in the movie there is, and I don't. Well, know. I'm a funny guy. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and 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 the influences that shape it are put together. I mean, I always say the art is synthesis, and art is juxtaposition. When when uh, Dali says, "I'm going to put a lobster on a phone," mm-hmm. that juxtaposition a has humor inherent to it, but b transmogrifies each of those two objects. They are no longer a telephone; it's a phone lobster. Mixture and it's no longer just a lobster. Well, I, I, I would, you know, people have said that this is surreal, and I would argue that it is not. Yeah. Because surrealism are the juxtapositions that you had just mentioned, mm-hmm. but here everything is contiguous. It's yes. like it's like a normal movie. Yeah, you know? and that's that's the thing that fascinated me about it. Uh, it's one, it's one of the briefest experiences I've had watching a movie in a long time. It is all, I mean, and David Lynn used to say, film is transition and flow. And this movie is a, a, a seamless, continuous flow. You change protagonists, you change points of view, you shift perspectives, but it never, it never feels like separate chapters, even although you shot it insanely enough over 30 years. That flow, I, I think that cohesiveness comes from you. Well, it's also studying movies and working with these 800-pound gorillas like Lucas and Spielberg and Verhoeven. Mm-hmm. You know, you just soak it and, and absorb it. And I've always been, um, I always sought out, um, you know, people, to mentors. All the time I would go to wherever I needed to go to just soak up and, like, eat the souls of these people. Did, did, did you show it? I mean, I'm curious because Verhoeven seems to me to have a, 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 a blissful touch of madness. Did you show him any of this? Yeah. And? He he said, I want a DVD so I can, you know, go through it single frame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think he, he he's touched by the same uh, complete conviction of madness. Yeah, well, and then Paul and I were, you know, George and Stephen, 
Ron Howard, those guys are more Disney. Or narrative, they're narrative. Yeah, but but Paul is, when asked, uh, who do you make movies for? He said, I make them for myself. Yeah. You know, not for a wider audience, and I don't give a flying fuck, you know? He's an iconoclast. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so that was, uh, we just kind of had this Vulcan mind meld thing where we could almost complete each other's sentences and, you know, would get into these philosophical conversations and ended up um, saying, um, well, um, we are um, uh, <laughs> existential Buddhists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that, 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 that is, a, I mean, the fact that uh, everything in this movie and everything in the world, in my view, is convulsive. Birth is convulsive, death is convulsive, eating is convulsive. There's almost no act that can be abstracted from that. And when somebody says, oh, I love apples, when you say you love an apple, it means you chewed it. <laughs> you you, you yeah. dismembered it, right. chewed it, and absorbed it. You destroyed it. Is that what you mean by that? <laughs> and then you shed it. <laughs> yes, and then you shed it. So that's loving an apple. But I, what I think is, what is fascinating is there's in Buddhism or in Taoism or in, in, in the belief that the qualifiers of the acts, separating them is artificial. It really, it really, it, it just is. And I think this movie has that. And, and the fact that his ultimate fate is to, in some ways, rebirth, I think it, it, is, it is that. You know, uh, many years ago, at the end of Return of the Jedi, we were done with Star Wars. You know, it was like being, you know, sentenced to three consecutive years in high school. Mm -hmm. And um, so a friend of mine had left some LSD in the house. It had mm -hmm. been there for years. Just like, laying around. It, it was hidden, you know, uh -huh. behind some books. I'd forgotten about it. And I'm like, well, you know, I'll take, you know, why not? And like a fucking idiot, you know, there were a bunch of these window pane tabs, like six or eight. And, you know, I take one and put a video camera on myself oh, wow. to justify it as a scientific experiment. And take one, nothing happened. Two, nah. <laughs> so oh I like oh bang, 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 bang. Oh my God. And, um, you took all of them? And it was the greatest experience <laughs> of my life. And um, uh, and I went to the center of the universe. No, no, no. Um, my cat Brian was with me. Uh -huh. And uh, Brian and I went through the um, larder. And my wife Jules was sleeping, and she could hear the banging, banging going. And Brian and I went to the center of the earth and yeah. stayed there for a billion years. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was talking to Adam Savage about, you know, LSD things. And he said, well, I had bad trips. And, um, and I said, well, I guess I was lucky. I didn't have a bad trip, you know. And he said, that's because you had Brian the cat. Yeah. You know, and when... Um, Leary was doing all the experiments with LSD. There was always somebody in the room, uh, you know, to, to manage. To manage, and it was like, well, who's better to manage this than a cat? Cat was yeah. my 
familiar. It's like mythological. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know? Your guide. My guide. My guide animal, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the, that, you know, uh, that changed my outlook in the world profoundly. You know, it was like a religious experience. You know? but, the, but this this leaves me back uh, feel to the fact that I think you, I, I when, if I was forced to define you, I would define you as a seeker. More than any... Uh, uh, Picasso, I do not seek, I find. Yeah, but, but, yeah. but that's the goal. For me. I think that you have gone from master to master, um, from experience to experience, uh, and, and evolving and looking for. It's a search, but, it, but it's so beautiful to me that, uh, that it feels like a pilgrimage. And you, you mentioned your moments with Verhoeven or Ray Harryhausen or Ray Bradbury. These were teachers on the road, yeah. your cat, you know, I, and, and I think the fact that it's a transit uh, is reflected in the film. And, and, uh, and, and the fact that that transit takes 30 years or takes 30 days, ultimately, it must at an existential level not make a difference. Well, and um, Mad God broke me. Yeah, and at the end. Yeah. and Tell, um, tell me about it. Um, well, it was my manicness that that did it, and um, you were lucky to finish it, by the way, in the sense that you knew when to finish it, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, but I, um, you know, it was like you know, it was like I, you know, I, I couldn't stop my brain, and you know, so I I fell into you know like alcohol and marijuana, and just had this. Um, I just flipped out at one point and uh, ended up in the psych ward for a few mm -hmm. days and was in recovery for about six weeks. And mm -hmm. I, right, right afterwards, all I could do was sit and watch the TV, mm -hmm. you know, and and then grab. What did you feel? Emptiness. I was blank. I, I yeah, like yeah. you, you were, you voided yourself. I shit everything yeah, you out. Well, yeah. Yeah, and. Um, and slowly, you know, built myself back. But that was, you know, part of the journey. And uh, um, are you familiar with Young's The Red Book? Yes. And uh, so Young and The Red Book, the, the, my understanding is he worked on it for 16 years or some long period of time. Um, and um, he started to go cuckoo, and his family kind of pulled him out of, mm -hmm. of this hero's journey this campbell's you know joseph yeah. campbell's journey where the hero uh, takes a path and meets a talking crow that tells him yeah. to go to yeah. the thing to the thing to the thing yeah. and ends up going to this part where the hero must die to be reborn mm -hmm. there's there the story and, and 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 i think that book uh, i mean when they finally published it way after he died and it was finally accessible it has that feeling. Yeah. This has this has that. I, feel, I think that that's one of the most difficult acts to achieve to the the voiding, and and I I know an artist, a very famous comic book artist that I, I will leave nameless, but he said to me, I, w I was talking about his magnum opus, a masterpiece of comic art, and I and after that his drawing changed. It became technically okay, but it became coarse and a lot more banal. And, and if you were sensitive to those things, I said, why did your drawing change? And he said, well, 
To the world I told I had broken my wrist. But the reality is after finishing that masterwork, which I had headed for all my life, he said, I, I have nothing in me. And I had to draw for a living. So I drew for a living, but there was nothing, nothing. I was void of everything. Well, when Mad God ended, I lost all interest in making things with my hands. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, so now I just write, you know. That's amazing. Ideas, to me. yeah. That's amazing to me, and that's so beautiful. So it it it, it, it did do. I uh, was reborn, yeah. you know, into something I, I I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like everything else in my life. Now the stuff I'm doing, I'm not a writer, but I am an idea guy, you know. And so, uh, you know, this new period rebirth is really like a hobby. You know, I don't have any idea. But everything else in my life was like that. I have no idea where this is going to go. You well, know? The, the, the ideal state of an artist is to be like a child, to have no plans, to have no schedule, to have no dreams of grandeur. I mean, it really is. And, 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 and there is a point in which the artist, if they ever achieves this state, you have to be at peace with nothing. Because ultimately, that may be the, the highest work, nothing. And I, I think that uh, your journey to this, now, you, so you now you don't sculpt. Well, I, in the interim with COVID, I, I have an idea for another project um, that's Mad God Light. You know, it's like, um, and I want to get money for it, but so it's got to be, you know, the Canary sings one song, but I want it to be kind of, you know, Tex Avery, 1940s, yeah. you know, Warner Brothers, that kind of manic mm -hmm. style. Mm -hmm. And But it, it's it, it's kind of in a wonderful world. And so I spent, you know, a few months in COVID um, making 30 maquettes, manic, just crazy. Shot them against blue screen, did some uh, key art, drew all the storyboards, 800 storyboards, and it's there. Who knows what's going to happen, you know? But, uh, you know, it's just like, well, it just has, yeah, if you don't do it, <laughs> you know, you're going to be sorry. And so that was my swan song. I mean, that I didn't actually, that was inaccurate. I didn't stop like that. I kind of got off the drugs slowly. Uh -huh. you know? And you rammed down. Yeah. And I think uh, when, when, you, when you see stop motion, uh, do you still feel well, other people doing stop motion do you still feel that uh, the thrill of uh, seeing an art form that you practitioned or mastered uh, uh, do you, because it happens to me every stop motion project whether I agree or disagree with the choices I find it a blissful event because it's perpetually in danger of extinction yeah you know um I, I have a bone to pick with some stop-motion animation mm -hmm. that because of the technology and frame grabber and whatnot, to me it looks like computer graphics. And it well, was that, like, what? <laughs> why, yeah. why would you want to do that? That happened to me. I mean, when we were dictating the, the sort of commandments uh, with Pinocchio, I said, I want to, people to be aware that these are miniatures. And I want people yeah. to be aware that they are handmade. And I, because that's what made me 
go nuts uh, yeah. when I was a kid. And, and I want people to know that the you, the, 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 the sand on the floor may move and the, and the, uh, the, the leaves in the tree may flicker and that's going to be okay because that's what it is. And I don't, we avoided printing, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think this is interesting because one of the, one of the things you fought so hard to solve and solve was the blur with your motion. Right. And, uh, and and so I I agree with you. I think that there is a moment of stylization that is very substantial to it in which you have to know. I mean, I was eight years old and I knew King Kong was a small puppet and at the same time it wasn't. And that and I knew, I wanted all the Harryhausen models. I knew they were models because I read famous monsters. Right. But it didn't matter. They were not. Talos was gigantic and so forth, and I I, I tend to, to to agree with you. So I just got the chills, mm -hmm. you know, when you mentioned Talos and mm -hmm. the scene when he turns his head. Yes. I mean that's ah, you know. And and the fact that he's you have a master of animation animating a stiff model. Yeah. That he he he's not looking for his usual fluidity, but I think I think as an art form. Uh, I, I agree with you. You have to feel like one of the things that I adore about Mad God is the feeling of uh, miniatures. There's, I was watching portions of your movie and saying, "God damn it! Maybe maybe I should do Mountains of Madness." <laughs> oh, it's a stop motion. <laughs> oh, because it, because it, it has the scale, ah. you know. Yeah. It has the scale, and it's and th this this this. Creature is so incredible. That was how did you? Uh, sorry to get technical. How did you animate the the fabric? Uh, well, it was you know I I have a high speed camera, wow. and we shot these wow. at um, various speeds, but generally around 120 frames a second. Wow! And uh, and it was it was like tricky, getting the fans on the thing the right way and to get all the flowing stuff going. And then we also augmented it by these things we called flags that were just the 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 flowing black ribbons as On their a own. separate separate On, element, yeah. and then you know you know composite. Yeah. Wow. You know, and this is what this is where I I the way the kind of filmmaker I am or, or you are, you need to create the illusion of flow and effortless flow from the subconscious to the screen, and th these are ideas that need to live. But you have to break them down into technical elements. Yeah. You have to say we're going to need a, a mat here. We're going to need a separate element here. You have to be able. It's not just you dancing to the doors no, and no, it, 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 it isn't. And you know, a lot of times, the deeper we got into it, the more complex the shots were, and you know, would require compositing. Or yeah, you know, I'm I'm very collaborative, and I really you know like you know we we all are most of us really rely on other people's input you know, and if there's a better idea, there's a better idea you know out there, and it's like you know I I will certainly go for it. But the execution requires the marriage of uh, instinctive impulse and technical breakdown. And I think, Phil, that this is where the, what I was saying. The blessing is uh, the years in which you had to, you know, to discipline yourself through the through the choreography for other directors and ILM and breaking down techniques that then you put to use here. 
Yeah, and you know where it started as it was as a kid, as like a, a six-year-old, five-year-old. And so uh, my parents, for uh, Christmas every year, they would buy Mark's play sets that yeah. you could buy. And so a dinosaur play set. And then you'd have a year, and you would play with your dinosaurs, and you'd lose half of them. And then you would get the cowboys and Indians and lose half of them. <laughs> and then you would get, you know, the Germans, uh, Nazis, and the... Yeah. And so, the Allies. I mean, that's mad God. You know, you're playing with all these Most desperate elements, and it's playing, and you're creating scenarios, you know, and characters, you know. And, that is fascinating. Yeah. When, when you say you met, uh, I'm sorry to go back, and I, I may be a mini detour, and if you want to answer it after this commentary, but you met Richard Corbin with Forey Ackerman. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, tell me a little about that. Well, Forey's uh, was a hub, the Ackerman. He was, yes. And, uh, and his so phone, uh, it was a two and three, two. 323 Moon fan, was it? Or? Oh, God, I don't yeah. recall. 818 Moon fan. But uh, he was a connector. He was. And uh, and he had his Acker Mansion had the King Kong puppets and Mighty Joe Young mm -hmm. and a bunch of stuff from Ray, in addition to all kinds of other, you know, the huge library. It was the mega for me, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we were so lucky to, to know him, you know. Yeah. And, you know, that's where I met Dennis Murin and Ken Ralston and so many people. And then, you know, Forey would give me a call and say, Ray's in town, you know. And that's where I met Ray when he when I was, like, 16. Oh, my God. You know, not, 1967. Yeah. And, and, and Cor was uh, Corbin somebody you were interested in? Did you talk to him about color? Did you talk to him? Did, did, because he was very quiet. Yeah, well, the, what he showed, because we would show our 8mm movies. Oh, he did one, yes. Um, Terror Planet, I think. Well, but at this point, it was way before that. And uh, it was uh, on tracing paper, you know, animation paper, and it was a walk cycle for Den. Yeah. And that's what he brought, you know. And they, he was at that early point in his career. And subsequently, John Davison and I wanted to develop... Um, one of his stories. Bloodstar, I would hope. I forget which one. And so I got in touch with Corbin and see if he wanted to be like involved or help mm -hmm. pitch this thing or mm -hmm. something. And he said, no, mm -hmm. I'm kind of done with that. I just do illustrations for Hallmark now. I was like, oh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes I, re I remember calling him to offer him basically to do anything he wanted on Hellboy. Uh, and I said, uh, and he said, no, I'm just doing comics, and I take my time. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It was a pure artist. Who, uh, so, Ray Bradbury, uh, how was your friendship with him? Did you come to L.A. often? Did he? Did uh, no, it was exclusively through um, correspondence in the old wow. days where you wrote letters, and I've lost all of them. No. Yeah. Well, I guess you needed to do that. Well, you know, I mean, I just moved around. I had King Kong foot. Dave Allen paid me to work on his projects and gave me a King Kong foot, and I lost that. And someplace I found one of the, the uh, plaster maquettes for one of the characters in Fantasia, and I lost that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I found, uh, I'm 58, and, I, and I, I'm in a 
I'm learning that losing is almost as good as gaining, and it, it teaches you probably a little more. So, uh, who was who was although of all these figures, who was the closest uh, emotionally to a mentor that you had? That was Bradbury, you know, because the, the discussions were more philosophical. Mm -hmm. They were philos philosophical, you know. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And his writing, when, when did you discover his writing? Well, when I, from reading Famous Monsters, and when I realized that, uh, you know, the two Rays and Flory were all pals. Very good pals. And um, uh, so uh, he happened to be teaching, uh, uh, giving a lecture at a, a college in San Diego where I was, and I was working on... Um, Bill Stromberg was a mentor of mine, and he was making a 16-millimeter version of The Sound of Thunder, the, the dinosaur, Hunting uh -huh. the Dinosaur. Uh -huh. And Great so story. I gave Ray, uh, you know, the, the script and some photographs and uh, my address, and he wrote back. And he said, if you make any money off of this, I'm going to sue you. He said that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that... You know, just started this. You know, the, you know, years and years and years of letter writing back and forth. You know. Now let me ask you on, on the editing of uh, Mad God. Is there any pieces that you left out? Is there any mm -mm. Any, any footage that nope. you didn't include? Uh, 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 uh. There was uh, 99.99% of all the shots were one take. You know, wow. because. You only want them to be one take, you know, and um, uh, and you know you you just have to move along. I mean, it's, the scope is so big, you know that. Uh, and I, I animate really quickly, and I'm technically not as good as say Chuck Duke mm -hmm. or uh, Tom Gibbons or, or world class stop motion animators, mm -hmm. and they're much more careful how they approach things. And again. My approach to most things is like a blacksmith. You know, I'll just get in there and start banging on uh, things, uh -huh. you know. And I, I work, like, really quick, and they're very methodical. They do labs. They do um, sort of video-recorded rehearsals, no? I don't know. No, uh, no. I mean, you know, on Mad God, uh, they would, um, you know, get timing sheets out mm -hmm. and, and then draw, you know, key poses and stuff like that. Which I never did, you know. I just kind of got in there, and you know, my secret was like I worked really fast, and I just wanted the energy for the thing, not technical perfection. Were you always that way? Uh, no. Well, I couldn't be when I was working on you know a budget pictures. You know, everything had to be um, meld into as much as possible into the reality of the. The movie or the background plates or, or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, um, special effect. But, uh, and, you know, I, I didn't do any stop motion at all. I mean, after the Tauntaun, it was like, you know, game yeah. over. Yeah. Really. But uh, I, I think that obviously uh, one of the moments where your, your, I think your self, your sense of self uh, proved to come intact. And this is for me the most beautiful aspect of this movie, is the moment in which you are perfecting go motion. Digital animation comes in. There's a sense of doom, or there's a sense of 
this could be the end of things, and this is actually an, an act of rebellion, and a beautiful act of reaffirmation, and saying, mm -hmm. no, we're going to do this. I like that. Yeah. Print, print the myth. Yeah, yeah well, no, but I, but I think you couldn't have, if you had succumbed. I mean, there is the fascinating thing about this, uh, this object that you created, because it's, to me, an object of art. There is live action. There is stop motion. There is uh, this and that, but but you didn't succumb to doing things digitally. You know there are composites. There's a little like wispy steam or smoke, but right. this is handmade and it feels handmade. Uh, it was a huge, huge influence was Carl Zeman, you oh, know, because yeah. he was really ballsy about how he yeah. went about stuff. And it was like, that gave me, the, you know, how am I going to create this assassin character? Because he's got, like, all these things that are really going to be hard to animate. Well, I'll make a costume. I'll put a guy in a costume. And Zeman did this all the time. Yeah, for and the just back and forth, you know. And, yeah, you could tell, you know, that that that's, you know, there was live action. There was stop motion. And, um and so that's what I did. Occasionally what we would do with the actors, and there were multiple, well, they weren't actors. They were just whoever was there. And, you know, I treated them like puppets. And, um... Uh, yeah, what you did with them, uh, if, if you were working with them, you would put them in the costume and just uh, shoot the shot that you needed for, like, the boots walking or the hand-touching... Uh, a dial or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah but, but what I mean is that the beauty of this thing is it has no, it doesn't succumb to, okay, we'll do this character CG. Oh, well. You know what I'm, I mean, I'm yeah. saying it is, whether you like the legend or not, it's a big fuck you to whatever uh, progress wanted to foist upon you. It is It is an act of rebellion, and that's what, that's what makes it so beautiful, and that's what makes every stop-motion movie, that's why I... Like you do not understand any de or do not have any desire to do stop motion that looks digital or that looks smooth or that looks uh, 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 modeled in in, the, in a digital environment. I wanted to, I want my stop motion to look like stop embrace motion. the artificiality. Yes. The painted backgrounds that you know are painted backgrounds, the miniatures that you know are painted uh, little miniatures. And and, and uh, I think that without it, uh, you lose the strangeness. Yeah. No. Well, and that's what Ray, you know, always said. You know, it was it was that he called it surreal juxtaposition. Mm -hmm. and Ray Harryhausen? Yeah. Or Ray? Ray Harryhausen. Uh -huh. the, the, and... Um, and uh, it, it was the, the, historically, it was a melding of a mechanical art form and an ancient art form sculpting, you know, and gluing them together, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, it was just that, that aha, hey, we could do this. Mm -hmm. Same thing with, you know, hooking up the Tauntaun to, um, you know, um, servo motors to get get blurs on it was like first time i visited dennis and and ken at ilm um they were on the night crew and you know i would meet up with them and they were showing me this stuff and they were shooting the trench and it was like i got it 
yeah. you know, uh, stop, uh, stop motion animators have been trying to put blurs on these things. And Sterovich did it a little bit. Yes, I know. Jim Danforth did a uh, pterodactyl thing in Ventana Source. They used to put Vaseline on a glass. That's stupid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so it was a no-brainer, you know, to, to make that switch. You know, <laughs> and Ken and I, uh, I, I had a, pro, uh, um, uh, a puppet that I had made for uh, Joe Dante and John Davison's uh, Piranha. Yeah, which captivated me. And so we... It moves like between the jars. Yeah, and so we uh, hooked it up uh, to a, a motion control rig and spent an afternoon shooting tests and got it back in the morning for dailies, and it was like, that's it. Works. So, I mean, I tell you, I was a kid... And that was, I saw Piranha probably four times, and I always went for that moment. I loved the movie. I loved Robotine's effects, and I loved yeah. everything. But, but that moment that, that had just the, this good old Harryhausen moment. Well, and that's, that's John and Joe. And, you know, Joe has said, you know, he didn't know if he'd ever make another movie, and he wanted to have stop motion. Mm -hmm. And you know, the production executives, you know, were like, "Do we really have to have this thing?" And they they, they finally won. And um, I think I did it for nothing. And um, uh, and yeah, so uh, now tell me, what, and now that you have gone out into the world with Mad God. Uh, what are the reactions you're getting? What, what are the interactions you're getting? Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I, I I don't know if it's because the people I work with only send me the good news, you yeah. know. But um, I think it's one of the best received it's, movies. Yeah, it, it is. Very few um, complaints, you know. But you know, the complaints range like. I didn't understand it. No. Or, you know, it doesn't have a story. <laughs> you know, or it doesn't have characters. It was like, what? Yeah, it has characters, you know? Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you think those things are that are moving? <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, I've, I've, I got, you know, when I say I get depressed when there's a reason to be depressed, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the first two film festivals, the Berlin and I forget what the other one, uh, was uh, mm -hmm. rejected Mad God. Oh, really? And I was crashed. It was like... <sighs> wow, I'm so You know, one of the first people I showed it to was editor Mark Goldblatt. I know Mark. And, um, you know, he loved it. And he said, but Phil, this movie is not for everyone. And it was like, well... None of the good ones are. I guess so. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. and so, but that came ringing back, you know, with those first two. And I, I was, I was really down, you know, until, um, you know, Locarno picked it up. And then it just took off, you know, like having a marlin on the Did you went to Locarno? Yeah. And, and they, was it shown in the plaza or in the theater? No, in the theater. Wow. And, um. First big showing of the movie. Yeah. And? And Dan Wool, the composer, and I sat at the back of the theater 
because we wanted to see how many people walked out. Of course. <laughs> yeah. of course. And, uh, and we sat down next to a family, like two little boys and a mom and a dad, and um, in the very back row. And the boys were like probably um, six and eight or something like that. And I told the mother, um, you know, I wouldn't bring my kids to this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, of course, they think, oh, it's animation and yes. Pixar and they'll yes. be cute. Yes. And, you know, it's for kids. Star Wars, whatever. And, you know, they got up after, like, you know, a, a minute and the, After the mother and, and the, and the mom mom is going out and she says you were right and i said it gets worse really <laughs> yeah really oh my god but i i would imagine it resonates i mean what i'm finding with the animation landscape which i find very encouraging is it's becoming an animation landscape of uh young people that are well history that are very fortunately and sacredly rebellious. They wanna they wanna prove once and for all that it's an art form and not a genre, and that it's not just for kids. And you you must be getting strong reactions from young animators for this. At least I yeah. I heard them. Well, and I I have the the history of puppetry, has you know uh, has. Um, advanced along with advancements in art and the most um mo most i think pivotal uh one recently and it's all been throughout history and um uh was with the surrealists you know used a lot of puppetry in in their you know kind of grand Gunal type you know plays, Little plays yeah. yeah but all throughout history and um there was a um, uh, story that I went to a New Chatel film festival. Yeah, I like it. And um, on the lake next to, I was J Lake Geneva was next to it, where Mary Shelley yeah, made, Fra made Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, in New Chatel, there was a little museum. And in the museum, were the, well, the, the the Swiss farmers would make watches, became the great watchmakers in the winter because they couldn't farm. Mm -hmm. And so they were these master watchmakers, and mm -hmm. uh, some of the guys would make these automatons yes. that were fantastic. fantastic. And they were the special effect of the day and toured the world and made yeah. these guys have rich. And collect some rich. of them, yeah. And yeah, they can wind it up and the eyes roll and they breathe and they play the piano and do a drawing that you can take away. And it's like, they're a couple hundred years old. Mary Shelley was just next door. Of course. Bang. Yeah. Of course. Yes, that connection is quite, quite evident because <clears throat> ultimately it, it is, it, 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 they, they were, as you say, they were the blockbusters of their time. Yeah. And they, they were, uh, I'm always being fascinated by that, by the simulation of life and intelligence and uh, soul that th those things can evoke. And, uh, but, but going back, did you, have you connected with, a, have you gotten a reaction from young animators on this or? Uh, 
I don't know any young animators. I just know my peers like Chuck and, you know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's not entirely true. Uh, there were two guys that came in that um, had dabbled in stop motion, and they were okay. Um, Ree Crawford and David Lauer. And um, so I worked with them and mentored them, and it's like if if you, you're just doing it and they're watching, they go like, oh, oh, it's easy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and they became really terrific animators. When, and this was uh, back when? Uh, when? When we started booting up. Now here, this black right here, uh -huh. now there's yodeling over this. Yes. And my intention was, because of the intensity of this thing, which, <laughs> you know, to me was, you know, the zeitgeist was like, like from the news, you know, and the torture of, of yes. many things. The brutality. I wanted to bring the audience down with something smoothing. Mm -hmm. You know, my, myself, you know, I just wanted things to have a calm moment that then has like a slightly dark side to it when uh, what we're about to see, we cut back to, oh, he's sending another diving bell down. Down. <laughs> But I tell you what I love about this, and I, and I think it's extraordinary for me, it felt of perfect symmetry. And to me, uh, the act, the, the convulsion that gives birth to art is not the act of art itself. For me, the art really takes root when it stops, when the artist knows this is complete. Without that, uh, it's not a work of art. You have to know how to end it, when to end it. And, uh, I had to be kicked off of this. Richard Beggs and I had to be kicked off of it. They said, enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you accepted it. That's your I had to. I had to. You know, because Shudder wanted it, you know. But we, you know. You could have kept going. Yeah. Yeah, we, we just kept having ideas. And this, what's going, the music that is behind this uh -huh. is a Carl Orff piece. Yes. And uh, that was like so many things that I do. Uh, Terrence Malick's. Badlands used yes. this Orf piece for yes. is in credits. And I went, you know, if I ever make a movie, I'll use it. I'm going to use this for the end credits. And and so much of my process is that, you know, like if I ever make a movie, I'm going to do this. And if I ever, you know, so. My favorite fairy tale of all times is a little story about three brothers that take on the road uh, to try and impress a princess. And, uh, Two of them are brave and athletic and all that, and the, the one that is quiet and sullen just gathers little things on the road, a dead bird, a piece of cord, yeah. and at the end, the two brothers fail to impress her, and he pulls out the dead bird and says, what is that? And then he pulls out the cord and says, why do you keep a piece of cord? And they end up engaging in conversation, <laughs> and these things that you gather along the road become uh, your story, and this is certainly the case here. Thank you, Phil. Well, uh, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate your um, enthusiasm for this project. It means a great deal. Love the movie and love you and admire you to no end. That's it. Okay, we're done. <laughs> Good, goodbye, guys. Cut, print. <laughs>